So we've all read and heard Malachi 4 verses 5 to 6 a million times. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. It's often used in the context of family history work and remembering the stories of our past. But what does that really mean? Doctrine and Covenants section 2 verses 1 to 2 it helps explain what was meant by that verse. It says, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. And while I feel like family history work in the sense of knowing the stories of our past is a part of this, but what is specifically saying is that the priesthood and priesthood ordinances, which helps us to make covenants, is what turns us to our fathers by joining in the promises they received, thus giving us hope for our own futures. And that the goal of family history work is to help those who never had a chance to enter into those covenants to enter those covenants, if they so desire. But a big part of that verse was the revelation of the priesthood. And so why do we need the priesthood for ordinances and thus for hope? Can't I just make a promise with God by myself? Can't I just have that experience with God, a covenant relationship just between me and him? Why do I need anyone else? The lack of priesthood undermines hope because whatever is done without God's power and authority is not his word and is thus not binding to him. We can't just force God into entering any covenant we decide to make with him. He has set a specific way we go about that path to both standardize and create hope. Covenants are not a willy-nilly thing. They are serious. It must be done in a certain way to be binding with God. Wouter Van Beek says, as God is bound by his promises, as referred to in Doctrine and Covenants 82 verse 10, covenant making has to be guided by revelation and performed through the authority of the priesthood. Otherwise, God is not truly made party to the accord and agreement. Since covenant rights are essential for man's salvation and exaltation, the role of the priesthood in administering these covenantal sacraments is crucial. Without priesthood authority, there are no everlasting covenants. And the definition of priesthood is the authority to act in God's name. God gives priesthood to prophets and to those of his apostles in the New Testament to go forth and preach and to heal and to lead the church as if it was him doing it and obviously guided by revelation. But there's an example in the book of Abraham where a Pharaoh who wants to do the right things did not have the authority to do the ordinances, but he seeks to imitate them. And that leads to idolatry and falsehoods and coming off the path because he tried to do it his own way. And in Acts 19 verses 2 to 5, it talks about how Peter rebaptizes some of the converts to make sure that each step was covered, specifically the receiving of the gifts of the Holy Ghost that there is a pattern and a process and requirements as part of that covenant making. Because if it's just willy-nilly, it just creates chaos. There has to be a process and a procedure, and God has put it in scriptures. And that is why what we call the restoration was so essential. God called a prophet in latter days, Joseph Smith, to restore priesthood authority that was lost with the death of the apostles. When all the apostles were killed, that authority was not passed on. 
And Paul prophesies that that's going to happen, that there will be a falling away, that there will be this time of darkness where some truth is lost. And that priesthood authority is the main thing that was lost. And it's essential to that covenant making and for us to have hope in those covenants. And in Doctrine and Covenants 84, through the restoration in this revelation, talks about the priesthood and that it is called the oath and covenant of the priesthood. And we are taught how to obtain the priesthood to magnify our callings, to serve the master and serve like the master, and in return that God will sanctify us through the spirit and that we will receive all that he has. We enter into a covenant relationship as we receive the priesthood and enter that covenant of the priesthood with God. It's another covenant. It's another thing that we can have hope in, that God will keep his side as we do our part to the best that we can through his grace. And we can only do those things with his grace. In Doctrine and Covenants 84 verse 40, it says, Therefore, all those who receive the priesthood receiveth this oath and covenant of my father, which he cannot break, neither can it be moved. Another thing that was restored and which was lost was temples and temple work. Temples are a sacred space where we make covenants using that priesthood authority. And Tim Mackey, talking about temples in the Old Testament, says this. He says, The temple was a sacred space that was for the union of human beings and their creator. This is a place we are reimagining what human beings are for and what they are like. This building was about the hope of God and humanity being reconnected and reconciled in relationship, close, personal relationship. That was what this building was about, and they would do these rituals in this temple that constantly pointed them forward to this hope. And so that's why we need temples today, is it's a place where we make even more covenants, which in turn gives us more hope. And these temples are so important. The Old Testament has stories of all these people who, without authority, tried to perform things like sacrifice, for example, Saul, and that it has to have the authority but that you have to have a temple. Examples are circumcision and sacrifice were performed at the temple. And there's often this misconception that we don't need temples anymore. Christ came, so we don't need the temples at all. And Christ didn't negate the need for temples. He cleansed the temple. It's the one place we see him angry. And why would he feel angry if it was still not relevant? This is a sacred space an important place that's essential for us moving forward and for that relationship with God. The temples have to be about when I go in, I'm not focused on things I need to buy or the outside world or getting the best deal. It's simply, where am I at with God? Where is my relationship with him? And how are these covenants that I have made that I am being reminded of or renewing? How am I doing? How do I feel that relationship with God is going? And where is my hope in that covenant? President Russell M. Nelson said, Indeed, whenever the Lord has had a people on the earth who will obey his word, they have been commanded to build temples. And standard works are replete with references to temple teachings, clothing, language, and more. Everything we believe and every promise God has made to his covenant people come together in the temple. In every age, the temple has underscored the precious truth that those who make covenants with God and keep them are children of the covenant. That's why we still need it today. We need temples and God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why would he change the pattern? He may tweak things that are not essential doctrines, maybe the way we go about those things, but the main guiding principles of covenant making 
with priesthood authority in temples has been the same forever. And the endowment ceremony that we experience in the temple is that symbolic reenactment of our progression to become heirs of eternal life. During that ceremony, we make covenants. Then on subsequent visits, we are again reminded of those covenants we have made. And we get to experience in a small way of what being heirs of eternal life is like as we spend time in places like the celestial room with our families. The whole ceremony is meant to show us the broad vision of life and to help us have a sturdier foundation for the hope we have in the covenants we have made. It isn't only a ceremony where we make covenants, but where we experience the blessings of those covenants. BYU professor Anthony Sweat says the temple ordinances and covenants not only promise these blessings, but help us momentarily see and taste them as we participate in the endowment ceremony. And the beautiful thing, the thing that has been changed for our day and age, is that in the past, only the priests and the kings could enter the temple through the veil. And now both men and women have the opportunity to enter there, no matter who you are, no matter your race, your skin color, what your past was like. As you come to God with a broken, contrite spirit, wanting to enter into a relationship with him, you can do that. And one of the things that is unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that we wear something called the temple garment. And it's this underclothing that we wear under our clothing. And what it is, it is a reminder of the hope that we have in our covenants. They remind us of the covenants we've made. So every time we put on our garments, we are reminded that I'm in a relationship with deity. The supreme ruler of the universe is on my side and that he holds true and that he hears me. And as we put on those garments, it's a symbolic of what the scriptures call putting on Christ or being clothed in Christ. Christ is the covenant. He is the reason and the way we are able to do all of these things. And that's why we're told not to adjust the garment, to change the garment, to fit the standards of modern day life. Because similarly, we should never try to, and frankly are unable to, just adjust the covenants we have made with God to fit our wants. We aren't supposed to just say, you know what, God, I think I only want this part of it. I want to pick and choose from the buffet of eternal life, of the commandments of mortal life's experience. That's not how it works. And when we read through the scriptures everywhere, it talks with temple language, this idea of temples and how important they are. And it's interwoven in all these verses that if you've been to the temple, if you've entered into those covenants, you can see it everywhere. And even just the words that are used, for example, the Greek and Hebrew words used in the New Testament for ask and seek are connected to asking or seeking for divine revelation, often in a temple setting, according to Matthew Bowen. Knock and it shall be opened to you also is temple significance if you've been to the temple. There's other things like being brought into the light or even the word revelation in Latin means to take away the veil. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, or like we talked about, better translated as hope, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
we enter into the holiest, into that sanctuary in the temple, and we pass through the veil, which is symbolic of Christ and his flesh. And our garments are also symbolic of Christ and his flesh and of those covenants we made. And Christ has been made high priest over the house of God. In King James Version of Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 20, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we've talked about this scripture before. But it's a little bit of a hard one to understand. It's a little bit vague. So I'm going to read it again, but using the NLT version, just so that it's easier to digest. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Like I said, if you've been through the temple or know much about the temple, all that symbolism, all the word choice guides us back to that temple and that Christ has gone through those steps just like being baptized that he has marked the way forward and we need to follow his example. Andrew Stephen Damick, who is a priest in the Orthodox Church, has an amazing, amazing article, but he talks about how Christ is the forerunner who has gone through the veil before us as a high priest with the Melchizedek priesthood to offer up sacrifices. And we are told in 1 Peter that we are to follow Christ and to offer up spiritual sacrifice. And so how do we offer up spiritual sacrifice? We are to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, like it says in Romans 12, verse 1. And so then for us, Christ then beckons us, providing hope to us by showing us a path. And then he also asks us to bring hope to others by helping them to enter into God's presence. Temples are the home of hope because through priesthood authority and power, we can enter into real binding covenants with God and can follow Christ's example to return to live with him again. Hey.